And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I am Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Robert Malone, M.D. And Dr. Malone, it's an honor to have you on with us. Well, thank you, Dan, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you and to your uh, listeners here about uh, whatever it is you want to talk about. (laughs) You don't even know yet. uh, I've seen you on many outlets, and I thought I would love to interview this guy. And right away, I want to say to our listeners that today we're not going to consider the study out of the United Kingdom that's shown that healthcare workers who received multiple COVID boosters after initially being infected with the original virus strain from Wuhan are more prone to chronic reinfection from the Omicron variant. We're going to let that news sit a little bit longer and hopefully pick it up another day with you, Doctor. And uh, yet, Dr. Malone, you are an inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology. Um, Tell us, Dr., what is your background as it relates to vaccinations and also the the present case of COVID? Well, I've worked on many, many different vaccine products uh, early in my career. I had a series of discoveries and inventions that gave rise to uh, the technologies that we call DNA and RNA vaccines. So there's uh, nine issued patents that uh, come out of my work as a graduate student in the late 80s at the Salk in uh, UC San Diego uh, that uh, were all filed at the very end of the 1980s that cover the core technology, the method of manufacturing the RNA, its use, uh, its delivery formulations, etc. And then I had a series of other uh, discoveries as an academic. And as an academic entrepreneur, I've started multiple companies. Uh, one of the companies that uh, my wife and I helped start is called Inovio, which is based in San Diego still, and uh, uses a different technology for genetic vaccination called electroporation or use of post-electrical fields. Uh, I've worked on, I've, I have a life, lifetime capture or management uh, record of, I close to $2 billion in federal grants and contracts. I've often chaired uh, vaccine-related study sections for NIH, uh, published over 100 papers, uh, huge number of citations. I've, I've always been kind of the academic entrepreneur that doesn't publish as many as some do, but generally the impact of what I publish tends to be higher. Uh, and then... Um, since the anthrax attacks, I started working in the biodefense industry, first with Dynport Vaccine Company. Among other things, I helped uh, clinically manage and do diligence on uh, the smallpox vaccine candidates. Yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, smallpox, tularemia. Uh, I uh, kind of spearheaded the uh, program and, and brought it forward for uh, what we now call the Merck Ebola vaccine, and I was the guy that got Merck involved. It's a vaccine that was originally developed in Canada. I've worked on uh, various uh, influenza vaccine products, including cell-based influenza. Uh, that was a $300 million cell contract with the U.S. government. I have deep roots in uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, uh, BARDA, um, uh, and to some extent with the intelligence community. Uh, so, and then, then 
uh, for the last uh, 20 years or so, I've been functioning as a consultant primarily. And one of the things that uh, is kind of my brand, one of the reasons why people hire me is because I'm known as, as a truth teller, as somebody that's innovative and insightful and uh, not a sycophant. So I get hired typically by C-suite individuals who want an independent, honest voice. So for me, when all this happened, um, you know, it was a cascade of things that brought me into the public's consciousness. I've generally kind of laid low, but uh, it's all consistent with really a life, a career of being a truth teller and being honest. Uh, I, uh, one point in time, I was more of a gene therapy specialist and, uh, I kind of destroyed that career by uh, being a whistleblower uh, around the Jesse Gelsinger death um, from UPenn. So I, I know all these technologies quite well. I know a lot of the people. I know how they work. I've written multiple INDs and defended them in front of the FDA. I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours uh, in front of the ACIP uh, down in CDC when I used to live down by Atlanta. So this whole vaccine landscape is kind of my my natural environment, vaccines and biodefense. Yes, I don't know much about vaccines, and um, we've always been kind of cautious here. You know, we have grandchildren now, and our children are, are very wise as to what they allow their children to get and not to get, and they're just careful about the whole thing. Uh, so that's kind of our perspective. I, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but something with this COVID just didn't sit right with me. You know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. You are. Um, can you tell us what were they trying to accomplish with your mRNA vaccination and what have they accomplished? So the, uh, the technology was put on the shelf uh, while the patents were in place because Merck kept anybody else from using them. Merck had bought the rights to them. And then when those patents finally expired, uh, there was a lot of interest in including funding from DARPA that the RNA technology would enable a rapid response capability. So when you had a new outbreak or the bad guys engineered something, Mm-hmm. that was uh, infectious and pathogenic, that you would be able to respond very rapidly using this technology because mm. the manufacturing process is often is a big part of the problem in producing a vaccine. How do you, how do you make something? And uh, so the, the technology lends itself to a platform-based approach, which is to say, once we figure out how to make the thing work for this vaccine, then it should be fairly easy for us to make one for another uh, pathogen. That's the logic. And uh, so that was in the, in terms of my embodiment or vision back in the late eighties, it was wrapped around the idea that RNA doesn't last very long, natural RNA in your body. And so it could be administered, it would go away quickly, it would be degraded. And if people had an adverse event, a bad thing happened, uh, it wouldn't be sticking, sticking around in their body. 
uh, and and a physician could, uh, together with his patient, decide or her patient decide to not readminister the product uh, if there were adverse events. So that was the underlying logic. Oh. Now a lot of that turned on its head because uh, with the modification of my inventions to include pseudouridine, this uh, component of RNA. RNA has four components: AUGC. And, and substitution of pseudouridine, which is the patent of Carrico and Weissman uh, from Penn, uh, that results in an RNA that sticks around for up to 60 days, and if not longer, hmm. uh, very different kind of a thing. And so a lot of the underlying assumptions about this just being a short burst of protein, in this case spike expression, don't really hold. But the other thing that really happened here, so that was the intention, was to enable both a, a product now and a technology platform that could be rapidly adapted to any of a number of potential new threats. Uh, so I hope I've answered your question. Yeah, that really does. Um now let's uh, move to the case at hand with COVID in terms of how the government got involved and how it became more politicized. Um, so by defense, since the time of the anthrax attacks, and even before, um, biowarfare uh, investment uh, by the United States during the 50s and particularly the 60s and into the 70s, uh, the dollars invested in biowarfare per se uh, probably existed, exceeded the dollars spent on thermonuclear warfare. That's something that people don't generally appreciate. Wow. Um, that much of modern biology as we know it is really the product, just like the space race spun off a lot of technologies the biowarfare race spun off a lot of new technologies, and a lot of modern biology is really the product of that. Um, so it's always been big business, but after the anthrax attacks, it became really big business, and you could make a lot of money. It's a niche business. It's kind of a small little click, but for those companies that are in it, they can make a lot of money. Uh, and so that the you know there's clearly still a lot of uh, debate about the origin of all this and my personal bias from looking at all the data and documents that I've been able to find is that uh, there was gain of function research uh, being performed at the Wuhan Institute of Virology on coronaviruses which were known to be a threat and uh, that was funded by both Defense Threat Reduction Agency and uh, NIAD, that's Tony Fauci's agency. And uh, there was technology transfer from EcoHealth Alliance in the Carolinas back to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and back and forth. And uh, there was apparently a project, and there's no way to really smoke out because we're now in the world of uh, the hall of mirrors that we call the intelligence community. Yes. Everybody that you talk to is a trained liar. And so you're, you're trying to dance between the lies to try to figure out what's true. But, um, my sense is, is that 
it's it's a, certainly reasonable that there was this kind of odd logic that the development of a virus which could infect humans that would then be further attenuated but able to infect bats so that those bats would be less likely to evolve a pathogenic virus um, that kind of some some of us that are old enough remember the cartoonist Rube Goldberg um, many don't uh, but it's a kind of a Rube Goldberg scheme uh, akin to the game Mousetrap, which is built off of, of the Rube Goldberg uh, cartoons. Um, and uh, that seems to have kind of been what went on there. And then there was some sort of an event that resulted in the virus uh, entering the population sometime in probably the third or fourth quarter of 2019. <clears throat> and, then, and then a series of response events uh, that really gained momentum in the first week of 2020. Uh, and uh, those included a concerted propaganda effort uh, that wasn't appreciated that it was propaganda at first by the CCP, in which uh, they pushed into Western press and consciousness through social media things like uh, people dying on the streets, mass graves, and yes. sudden buildings. Of huge hospitals. That was all propaganda. I remember seeing that. And uh, unfortunately, Debbie Burks, who had been spearheading the uh, many aspects of the president's uh, AIDS initiative, PEPFAR, in Africa, uh, together with Tony Fauci, uh, kind of <clears throat> were brought in somehow into Mike Pence's team. Uh, and we now know from Debbie's a book together with Scott Atlas's book that Debbie basically accepted the CCP propaganda as real. She still doesn't seem based on her book to be aware that that was propaganda. And she accepted the idea that these strident measures that G was telling everybody in the world that he was doing were successful and we should do the same thing. Uh, there's another book that makes the case that in fact, what happened there was that uh, the CCP uh, was able through propaganda to get the West to basically shut itself down uh, with the lockdowns and everything, and that it was intentional uh, and weaponized against us. Uh, so that's that's another one of the threads that's yet to be discovered. But clearly, the government initially believed that um, a bypassing the normal uh, safety development processes for an RNA vaccine uh, against this coronavirus was a good idea. Uh. And, uh, and that uh, um, in order, because of the law having to do with emergency use authorization, requiring that there be no acceptable alternative if, if something was going to get emergency use authorization, that appears to have been the reason for... Uh, suppressing early treatment uh, with with other drugs, including the ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and aspirin, and, mm -hmm. and uh, famotidine, and so many other things. Uh, um, which, and then, and then we had the bizarre uh, financial incentives for hospitals to over-report or over-interpret uh, 
deaths with COVID as deaths from COVID, which inflated the numbers, which then got weaponized and caused, you know, scared everybody. So that's the, that's, you know, within the time frame we have, that's the short version of what the government was up to. Uh, but, you know, we're learning more uh, minute by minute almost uh, details about the backroom machinations, uh, the influence of uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Apparently, uh, yesterday, uh, FOIA Freedom of Information Act disclosure came out that demonstrated that uh, um, through documents, CDC documents, that when Marion Gruber and her colleague resigned from the FDA, uh, these were two of the leading uh, regulatory authorities in the vaccine space, mm-hmm. uh, that that was explicitly a consequence of their objection to uh, pressure on the FDA from both pharma and the White House to approve and advance the booster, quote unquote, products. Um, and that uh, and that Mary Gruper and her colleague apparently felt that this was undue pressure and influence politically uh, to to advance those products that that were not warranted. Uh, and um, so, like I said, we, we just keep seeing more and more reveals, in, including the yes. documents that are coming out now about the uh, a role of, of the big tech uh, um, working with the CDC to suppress information, etc. I mean, it's it kind of unfolds. Now, I have to jump. Oh, uh, sure. The next one. Absolutely. And um, today we've been talking with Dr. Robert Malone. Perhaps we could have a follow-up discussion. I have many more questions now to ask you, but uh, this has been wonderful, and I, I really appreciate you fitting us in with your expertise and knowledge. It's nice to have a based person to talk with, and uh, we wish you well, Dr. Malone. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and I hope to talk to you again soon. If somebody wants to look you up on, online really quick, where can they go? Our best outlet, because I got kicked off of Twitter and LinkedIn, is uh, Getter, G-E-T-T-R, and you can find me at R.W. Malone, M.D. And then our thought pieces come out daily, uh, pretty much, except for Fridays and Sundays when we put out the funnies, <laughs> at, on the uh, substack, rwmalonemd.substack.com. And you don't have to pay for that subscription. Uh, what we do is ask if you want to participate in the comments for the articles we restrict that to people who pay the nominal fee sure and what that does is it keeps the uh trolls down to a dull roar (laughs) Uh, um but but people can sign up for it and it'll come straight to your inbox and your email uh our objective like you is to uh not to get rich but rather to uh spread information to people as widely as possible. Amen. Well, I hope that maybe we can talk to you again, and um, blessings upon you and your wife, and and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. Be good. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.
you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. It's great. And is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slain. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And is Jesus our Messiah? Hold forever those he loves. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Sing with me. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and the Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, from every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy?